Glad to have you listening to Tavis Smiley in this hour. And in this hour, a conversation about reinventing yourself regardless of age and living life authentically. Bevy Smith, the host of Bevelations. I love that. I, I love, love, love Bevelations. I'm going to ask you where she got that from. Uh, she's the host of Bevelations on Sirius XM. And she joins us in this hour to share her journey from fashion world success to hitting uh, emotional rock bottom and then learning how to live big. Bevy says you can too at any age. And I am delighted to welcome Bevy Smith to this program. Bevy, how are you today? I'm good, Tavis. Thank you so much for having me. It's my great honor and my delight to have you on the program. You heard me say a moment ago, I, I said it earlier in the program, I love that Bevelations. I just love people who are creative in that way. So, so all right, tell me the story. Where did Bevelations come from? I love it. Well, unfortunately, I cannot take credit for coming <laughs> up with it because it was it was actually Andy Cohen from Bravo. Sure. When I when I first started out doing TV, he um, had me do a pilot, and on the pilot, he had me being the woman on the street um, doing interviews, mm -hmm. and he said, "We're going to call your segment Bevelation." Mm. And then, of course, smartly. I trademarked it, and now it's mine. <laughs> there you go. I, I'm glad you said I was sure about to ask, did you run to the trademark office and get that trademark? Uh, I'm glad you did. Yes. You're smart. You're a smart, smart sister. Let me just ask right quick. Um, for those who watch Andy Cohen, know Andy Cohen, we see Andy Cohen and the way he behaves on television and the way, the way, he, uh, the way he engages his audience. And, again, I, having done television and radio for 30 years of my career, I know that what we see, as Flip Wilson would say, what you see is what you get. That ain't always true. So for those who are, who are wondering right. what it's like when you're actually hanging out with uh, around Andy Cohen, what's that like? Well, for me, Andy Cohen has been a real supporter of mine. He has um, always believed in my talent, and he's given me a myriad of opportunities. Now, with that being said, of course, people can only give you opportunities if you show up. That's right. And, and are worthy of opportunities, right? Yep. So. Andy has always um, gotten my kind of unique sensibility around pop culture and also the fact that I can speak to political things as well as pop culture, as well as fashion. So he sees me as a fully realized human and not just put me in that one little cylinder of fashion. Yeah. And so for that, I give him a lot of credit. And then, of course, you know, my radio show is on Radio Andy, which is his station at um, Sirius XM, mm -hmm. and my book, Bevelations, Lessons from Mother Auntie Bestie, was published on Andy Cohen Books. And mm -hmm. I will tell you this, he gave me my proper six-figure advance. There you go. There you go. That's important. Yeah. It's important. Because, you know, there's a lot of talk around black authors not receiving those kind of advances, right? Oh, yeah. When we publish books. Yep. Yeah. Trust me, I, I, so I think it's important to note that. No, it is important to note it. I've written, what, 23, 24 books in my career, and it's been a journey. Uh, I recall when I first got started, and I know that I know that process well, uh, of black authors not being given the respect they deserve. And, uh, again, a, a couple uh, a couple dozen books in, I don't have that issue these days, but I know what that journey was like. Right. And, I'm, and I'm glad to hear that Andy gave you the respect that you deserve. Um, we got an hour, so we're going we're gonna to cover a lot of ground in this hour. Let me just start with this right quick, and then we'll move forward here. Um, fashion, and we'll talk again more about it when we come forward, but just give me a, a quick sense of how fashion became your thing, baby. 
Well, I'm born and raised in the Hamlet of Harlem. So if you know anything about Harlem, you know we show up and show out. That's right. Especially as it <laughs> pertains to fashion and style. Yeah. So, you know, I get it very honestly. I get it from my community. I get it from my mama. My mother is a showboat to this day. She's 95 years old, and she still cares very much about her appearance. Wow. And so it was really my community of Harlem that fostered this real sense of style and fashion in my life. And then as a, a young person, you know, Fresh out of high school, I became a receptionist at an advertising agency that specialized in luxury fashion. Mm-hmm. And then from there, I went to college and um, majored in marketing. And I kept having all these amazing opportunities in fashion, but in conjunction with advertising. And that's really how I made my my bones in the business of fashion, yeah. through advertising and marketing. Sure. When we come forward, just getting started in this conversation with uh, Bevy Smith, host of the show Bevelations on Sirius XM, um, I want to I come right back to this issue of Harlem. Uh, every time I talk to somebody who's from Harlem, I'm always fascinated to hear their individual story, their personal story, what it was like for them growing up in Harlem. I just said on this program yesterday in conversation with somebody else about something else I can't remember uh, from one day to the next. Uh, but we were talking about Harlem yesterday and making the point that Harlem ain't what it used to be. Harlem, not unlike Lemert Park where this studio sits, we're heard across the country, but uh, flagshipped here in L.A. In Lemert Park, it's gentrifying. Other parts of this country are gentrifying like nobody's business. I was in Houston last weekend, gentrification in certain parts of Houston. So we're all being subjected to that in these communities that were once chocolate covered. Washington, D.C., gentrifying like nobody's business. So I, I'm curious to get her take about growing up in Harlem. She gave you some sense already how that impacted her, but a great deal more to talk about in this hour with Bevy Smith when we come forward on Tavis. With Bevy Smith, a pop culture queen and author of Bevelations, Lessons from a Mother, Auntie Bestie, and the host of Bevelations on Sirius XM. Uh, in case you've just, in, just tuned in, that is, talking to, to Bevy in this hour uh, about her personal journey of transformation and the power of embracing change to craft an authentic and fulfilling life at any stage of your life. Age is just a number, as they say, and Bevy believes that, and more important, uh, her, her life uh, is a work and testament to that. So, so Bevy, we were talking a, a moment ago about growing up in Harlem, and I'm, I'm always fascinated by people's stories uh, of growing up in Harlem, so tell me a bit more about what it was like for you growing up in Harlem. Oh, yeah. I mean, Harlem it was a dream come true for a girl like me, someone who's curious and adventurous. So, no, growing up in Harlem means that you are living in an all-black environment, but you're literally a train stop away from the epicenter of the world, mm. of finance, fashion, publishing, television, radio, everything is right there. One train right away. You know, uh, you take the, t- the train on 125th Street, the next stop is 59th Street. Oh, yeah. And that's a really powerful... <laughs> That's a really powerful space to live in, right? Because even though I'm growing up in what a quote thing is the hood, I know that there's a whole other world that's literally accessible to me yeah. through a train ride, through a subway token back then, right? Right. So um, it was, you know, I would say, you know, it was the best of both worlds. You know, it was the best of times and it was the worst of times, especially growing up as a teenager doing the practice epidemic Mm -hmm. so um you know we had lots of really amazing cultural things going on in Harlem during that time you know from you know concerts at you know the Apollo theater you know amateur night lots of activities all in our community but it was also the scourge of the crack epidemic there Mm -hmm. as well but it was also 
the the birth and the the the, the um really kind of like the the dawning age of hip hop. So all of that made it a very uh, amazing time to grow up in the community. Yep, no question. But that Harlem is a cultural mecca, uh, has been of course for for a long time. Uh, and yet, to your point, it it was as you were growing up, you know, much more black than it is even today. You you grew up in this black space, but to your point, a train ride away, you are at the epicenter of all that moves the world. As a young girl, how did you process that kind of exposure? I raise that because there's so many kids, so many black kids now, uh, Bevy, around the country who don't have a train ride away to see the rest of the world, as it were. Uh, and so I'm wondering, as a young yeah. girl, how you process that access to the rest of the world beyond your black community. Yeah. Well, you know, I had amazing parents. I have, my mom is still with me. She lives with me. I'm her caregiver. Mm -hmm. That's a whole new chapter um, in my life. Um, but my parents were amazing people in that they made sure to always take us downtown. So Jay-Z says in his book, that for him as a kid, going across the bridge, because he grew up in Brooklyn. Sure. So Brooklyn is, I know it's a national show. So Brooklyn is a borough and Manhattan is a borough. But to get from Brooklyn to Manhattan, you have to cross a bridge. Mm -hmm. And Jay-Z talks about the fact that crossing that bridge filled him with such trepidation as a kid because it was just like the unknown world to him. Mm -hmm. I didn't have that experience, though, because my parents really made sure to take us downtown. We went to we went to um, museums, we went to ballet, we went to the opera, we did all kinds of cultural things. Mm. We we went almost every Sunday, that was a good day, to Central Park, which is one of the most magnificent, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, public parks in the world. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was able to navigate, when I went into the all-white space of luxury fashion, I wasn't intimidated by white people, mm. I wasn't intimidated by their culture or any of it, because I already had um a taste of it i've had um experience with them um just from going downtown as a kid so harlem really um gave me the foundation of being proud of who i am yeah. you know growing up on frederick douglas boulevard right? oh yeah um <laughs> and, you know so there's that and five blocks away from the iconic rucker um ballpark mm -hmm. you know where basketball legends are made the rucker um, the rucker street from yeah the Rucker, yeah. across the street from the Dunbar Houses, which is where, um, gosh, I'm drawing a blank now, but the first black man to reach the North Pole, that's where he lived. Matthew Henson. So, Matthew Henson. Yeah. He lived across the street from me. Not at the same time, obviously. Yeah. But just knowing that kind of history, mm -hmm. knowing that you walk on the same you know, sidewalks as these iconic people really does give you a real sense of strength yeah. and a sense of self. Yeah, no question. Uh, I'm following you through this conversation. Since you mentioned this new chapter of your life, let me ask you just to share a brief word about that because uh, every one of us eventually has to do that dance with mortality. And if we are fortunate enough uh, in that dance with mortality to get to the age of 95, somebody's going to have to care for us. That's just the way it is. It's called the life cycle. Um, so at this point in your life, what is it like being the caregiver for your 95-year-old precious mother? Um, it's, you know, first of all, my mom lived alone until she was 94 when she had the stroke. She had the stroke actually just um, Sunday was the, we call it the stroke-versary mm. of her two strokes that debilitated her. So she 
went from living by herself and caring primarily for herself to now being wheelchair-bound and having limited language. But what I want to say about that, Tavis, is we are still blessed and highly favored because my mother, although she has limited language and although she cannot walk, my mother is still, the cognition is there. Mm. Her cognitive skills are there. So my mother is still very much my mother. She lets mm. her, her needs be known. She tells you what she likes, what she does not like. You're not figuring to force things on her. You know, she's very, very present, yeah. you know. And so we, we celebrated. And Tavis, I know you've been here. We celebrated at the iconic Melba's restaurant oh, yeah. on Sunday. And it was so beautiful. And, and everyone came out. Even my girl Sherry Shepard was there. She came out, to you know, to greet my mom and to Ooh. just give her a hug and so much of the community came and just showed my mom love. So I'm very fortunate yeah. because we have a family that pulls together to take care of my mother. Yeah. So my sister lives upstate, her and her husband, but they come down Monday through Wednesday to give me a break from the daily caregiving of my mom. Mm -hmm. My brother lives two blocks away from me. So anything that goes on, I can just call him and say, Hey, can you watch mom? Then I have a niece that lives in my old apartment. So she's, a few blocks away from me, she pitches in. I have a nephew who lives in my mom's apartment. He pitches in as well. So we are very fortunate in that most of us live in the hamlet of Harlem. Yeah. So it makes it very accessible for everyone to come in and pitch in with mom. And then my sister and her husband, you know, will make that hour, 15-minute trip Monday through Wednesday to make sure that mm -hmm. mom is being cared for and gives me a break as well. No, it's a, it's a blessing to have her with you at 95, and it's a, a greater blessing or uh, or another blessing to have a family who all chipping in, uh, and y'all ain't arguing and fighting yeah. about who's going to take care of your mother. So mm -mm. <laughs> that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Everybody ain't got it like that, yeah. baby. Trust me, everybody ain't got it no. like that. So uh, I'm no, glad. No, I know, and you know what? Yeah. I, I was going to say, Tab, you know, because I always want to make sure that people know I come from – Two parents. Right. My father um, was married to my mom until the day he died. He died in April of 2020, unfortunately, of COVID. Mm. Um, but my, my dad would always say, y'all have to stick together. And so we are honoring my father and my mother yeah. by sticking together to make sure my mom is well cared for. Yeah. I was just reading something the other day, and I, I knew this. And I was in New York just a few weeks ago. Um, I was honored to receive a big award that was presented to me in New York City. So I had to fly back for that. Uh, and saw a few of my friends uh, on that trip while I was there. Um, and and I, I was saying to specifically to to Wynton Marsalis. Wynton and I were talking one night, and I was saying to Skane, I said, "Man, it's been a it's been a minute since I've been to New York because of the pandemic and you know, trying to build this radio business, this radio company, this radio station. Um, so I've been kind of stuck here in L.A. doing what I do, uh, and hadn't been to New York for a while, and it felt so different to me, Bevy. I, the streets weren't as crowded. You know, some of the restaurants are closing at 11. Uh, and and, and Scanny and I, Wendy and I were talking about the fact that, you know, a lot has changed in New York as it has in the world since the pandemic because uh, New York lost more people than any other state. New York lost a lot of people. A lot of folk moved out. They don't want to be in that close proximity and catch COVID, um, which, you know, passes um, uh, pretty pretty easily when you're in that sort of proximity. Um, so people moved out of the city. Uh, a lot of people died. But things have just, you know, things have changed in New York. So it was it was it was a great thing for me. I felt good being back, but it felt a little weird because I, I didn't have the I didn't I didn't feel the kinetic energy that I felt on the thousands of trips that I've taken to New York over the course of my career. But what was it like being in New York in that moment during the pandemic, during COVID, and then to lose your father to COVID, baby? 
Well, I will say, when you come back to New York City, you have to come up to Harlem because ain't nothing changed. <laughs> we are popping and we, <laughs> baby. I, I didn't get to Harlem. La- I didn't get. I didn't get to Harlem that last trip, but I, I love Harlem, and I'll, See, I'll make it happen next time. That was my mistake, I guess. That was your damn first mistake. Yeah. Okay, you should have came up here to see us. Yeah. I don't know what's going on downtown, but I know what's going on up, up here. All right, we, uptown, we uptown. And locking and having a good time. There uptown you go. To the <laughs> um, <laughs> but to answer your question, you know, it was um, it was really tough. So, ironically enough, I actually got COVID March. I want to say probably the 13th and what we shut down probably March 13th, March 15th. Right. That's when I first started feeling sick that Friday. Yes, it was Friday the 13th. I started feeling a little sick. And I was like, I don't know what this is, but I know this thing is going around. My father was in a rehab facility that was literally like six blocks away from me. Mm. So I was always going to see him every day. We all went to see my daddy every day. And he was coming home. And when COVID struck, we had to make a decision because he lived with my mom. They lived together. Mm-hmm. And my mom didn't need any caregiving at that time. So my mom could stay in the house by herself. But if my dad had come back home, he would have required care, which meant random home health attendants coming in and out of the home. And remember, initially, no one had any kind of protective equipment. That's right. You know, there was a shortage of gloves, That's and right. masks, and everything. Mm-hmm. So we said, well, we don't, and we were also hearing, Tavis, about elderly couples perishing together of COVID. Remember mm-hmm. that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So we were like, well, we don't want that to happen to mom and dad. So we were like, well, let's keep daddy in rehab and pray nothing happens. And let's keep mommy at home because she's safe because no one has to come into her home because she's fully self-sufficient. Mm-hmm. Well, unfortunately, that's not what, you know, didn't turn out dad. Yeah. Yeah. perished within a month of COVID. Like, yeah. he literally passed away on April 11th, and the the, the country shut down March 13th. I mean, mm-hmm. April, yeah, March 13th. Mm-hmm. So it was, you know, pretty much a month. Um, it was a really, it, a really eerie thing to be a single person um, living alone during the time of COVID and also having COVID. Because yeah. when I contracted COVID, it was the early stages, so I didn't really know. But I was still doing my radio show, Tavis. Sure. I was doing my radio show from home, mm-hmm. and I was feeling, you know, not great, and I would have doctors on and talking to them. And then one time I said to a doctor, you know what, I think I might have COVID. Do you think you could get me tested? Because remember, people couldn't even get tested. Couldn't get tested, yeah, sure, sure. And, yeah, and she said, well, I can get you tested, but you'll have to come all the way out to Brooklyn through my hospital. And I go and it was like something out of an apocalyptic film where the streets were deserted. I rode in an SUV, but I rode all the way in the third panel of seats with a mask on because I didn't want to. I was like, if I have COVID, I don't want to get this driver sick. Sure. We get to the hospital. It is just chaotic. It was just the most horrific thing. I do my test. Comes back a couple of days later, I have COVID. But back then, they didn't even know what to tell you to do. Yeah. Remember, it was like mm-hmm. Tylenol. And if you can't breathe, then you call the ambulance because otherwise they weren't doing anything with you. Mm-hmm. So that was, it was a really, really tough time for me. And I didn't let my mom know because I didn't want to worry her. Right. Um, and I just would do my sh- my radio show every day because that was my kind of sense of normalcy. Sure. No. Okay. And it, it, it gave me something to look forward to. So, yeah, it was tough. 
to um, be in the middle of COVID or at the very beginning of COVID, having COVID and then having my dad yeah. pass away. It was, I, it, it was surreal. No, I am sorry you lost your father, but I'm glad your precious mother at 95 is still with you. When we come forward, we're going to get into some revelations. Uh, and uh, talk about uh, this pivotal moment of self-discovery that Bevy had and how you can have one, too, at any age and live your best life. More with Bevy Smith when we come forward on Tavis Smite. Giving some love to Whitney all three hours of today's program. In this hour, having a great conversation with Bevy Smith uh, and time now for some 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 revelations. I want to I want to get to this now that we've uh, kind of laid a foundation and got some of the backstory of Bevy's life and what the last few years have been like. Um, so, Bevy, um, you mentioned earlier that because of your 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 beautiful parents, by the time you worked your way into the luxury fashion world, you didn't feel intimidated, as you said. But I, but I, I'm curious as to whether or not you felt welcome. It's one thing to not feel intimidated. It's another thing to feel welcome as a sister in that space. Talk to me about that part. I was really fortunate to have four white mentors at my first job ever. Mm-hmm. And those people literally shepherded me throughout my career. The, 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 um, the formative parts of my career. Right. So when you have, it goes beyond having someone who is an ally and it goes into having people who are patrons and, and people that will literally have your back. And that is what I had and the four mentors that I met when I was 18 years old. Mm. And I recently just said on Instagram, I am still eating from the relationships that those folks gave me when I was a kid. Mm. And that's pretty phenomenal. And I know my story is not like most people's story. Mm-hmm. Now, that's not to say that I didn't face other people being rude to me or being racist towards me. But when you are so protected, mm-hmm. and then I mean, you know, a, I didn't really, I didn't even really acknowledge it until I got older. And I was like, oh, yeah, that person did say that to me. That was peculiar. But I was, no one was ever able to stop my uh, ascension because I had very powerful people who believed in me. Mm -hmm. And yet at some point in that ascension, um, you have a pivotal moment of of self-discovery. So it it appears that things are going well. And yet, you know, one day you had a... You had, to, you had to come to Jesus meeting with yourself. Um, tell me about about, yes. about this moment. Yeah, I mean, you know, um, at that point, I was uh, the fashion and beauty advertising director at Vibe magazine. And this is like the heyday of Vibe, the, you know, the kind of the golden era of hip hop coming into its um, money making, you know, kind of uh, space. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was incredibly successful in that, um, that job. And I was going to... Paris and Milan six times a year on behalf of Vibe to introduce our culture to um, European fashion brands. Mm-hmm. And I was doing really well. And at this point, I'm making great money. I'm making six figures and I'm traveling all over the world, first class and doing all the things. And then one day I realized that even with all the trimmings, even with all the perks, I'm deeply dissatisfied. Mm-hmm. And there was this um, time, there was a, a space of feeling forlorn because I have everything that a little girl from Harlem could have ever dreamed about having. Like, I have this career that I could not have even fathomed, right? Mm-hmm. I'm a world traveler. Um, I receive, I'm sitting front row at all the fashion shows. I'm, I have 
things that I could not have fathomed, and yet I feel empty, hollow, and I feel very sad, and I don't know where to go. And I also feel guilty because my dad, at the height of his job, you know, kind of career, maybe made $50,000 a year. Mm-hmm. And here I am making, you know, five times that, mm-hmm. and I'm like barely in my 30s. Um, so there's that guilt too, right? Because yeah. who am I to be dissatisfied with something that people in my community could only dream of? Yeah. Um, but I did have that come to Jesus moment. I said, I'm going to change my life. And it took, but you know, here's the thing, Tavis. I always try and tell people, I decided to change my life at 33, but I did not pull the trigger until I was 38. Mm-hmm. I said I had to change my life at 33. But I wasn't able to actually move on that promise I made myself for another five years. Yeah, I, w- I want to probe now um, what that that or those changes were, and how it is you can have all of that and still feel sort of bankrupt, still feel sort of empty. The guilt part I get. Uh, I'm just like you. My very first job out of college, I had the honor of working for the late great mayor of the city of Los Angeles, Tom Bradley. And in my first oh, job, wow. in my first job working for the mayor, I made more money than my father had made, uh, was making, who'd been in the Air Force for many years. My father had raised 10 kids. I've got nine brothers and sisters. And on that Air Force salary and a few other things he was doing on the side, uh, auto mechanic and a janitorial business. But my dad found a way to make ends meet for our family. And I tell you, I, my mother uh, asked me how things are going at my job, and I, I said, Mom, I got my first paycheck uh, yesterday. And I told her how much I was making, and my mom got quiet on the phone, and she said, don't you ever tell this to your daddy. Um, but you make more money than your father makes right now. He's been at that job in the Air Force wow. and other things for years. I felt, I mean, I, I got off the phone, I cried. I felt so guilty uh, about how mm-hmm. well I had, you know, been blessed to do. Had gone to college and working for the mayor, and my father hadn't earned that much in his whole life. And it just so I get the guilt part, um, but 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 I want to yeah. hear uh, about what what you discovered in that moment that that was making you feel that way, baby. Well, I mean, I'm not someone who likes to rest on their laurels, so mm-hmm. um, there have been, you know, quite the challenge at Vibe Magazine. Before I assumed the, 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 the role of the fashion and beauty ad director, there had been a white man doing that same job. Right. And um, when I got the gig, no one believed that I could actually break the business. Mm. So they gave me the job with the full kind of, <laughs> they, I guess, this idea that I was going to fail. Yeah, yeah. And because how, if, this, if this white man couldn't break the business, well, how's this black woman chocolate, curvy from Harlem, who very much is very black identified. Like there's no, you know, yeah. you're not going <laughs> to confuse on the phone. You're going to know I'm a black woman, right? Yeah. And so the folks were like, oh, well, you know, even the people that hired me were like, yeah, well, you know, good luck. You probably won't be able to to get that. And so hold that, hold that thought one second. Hold that thought. Hold that thought one second, baby. So I, I, I hear they give you the job. Not really expecting you to succeed in it. We'll pick up on that story when we come forward with Bevy Smith on Tavis. All right, Bevy Smith, I'm watching my time. It's getting tidier. So you were telling us that they gave you the fashion editor job at Vibe, not really thinking you, you could succeed, and what happens? Yeah, and then I succeeded. <laughs> and, I, and I did, <laughs> you know, I, I did things that no one has done since. 
um, since I did it. You know, I broke Gucci and Prada and Dior and all these big brands into our magazine, giving us, and as you understand, those lucrative white advertising dollars, Mm -hmm. not the diversity budget. That's right. Okay? Yeah. Okay. It it makes a difference. It makes a difference, Um, yeah. It makes a very big difference. And so I was able to do that, and then I was like, is this all there is? Mm. I'm trying hard, but I am. I feel low. And um, I knew I had to change my life. And um, I began to do the work to acknowledge how I wanted to change my life. And I asked myself three questions. Who am I at my core? How am I being perceived? How would I like to be perceived? And with those answers, I developed my own personal brand. And that is how, at the age of 38, I was able to quit my job. At, by, that, by then, I had gone to Rolling Stone magazine as the only black woman and the only black person in management. Mm-hmm. And I quit that very lucrative job, and I decided to live a life pursuing creativity. And um, I did my first TV show, uh, Fashion Queens, at the age of 45. My second one, Pay 6 TV, at the age of 50. My book came out at the age of 55, as did my TED Talk. And now at the age of 56, I'm pursuing a career as an actress. I'm, you can catch me on Amazon Harlem mm-hmm. as Aunt, Tyler, uh, Aunt Tammy. I play uh, Tyler Lepley's auntie. And Megan Good is, um, is one of my co-stars. I mean, well, I'm her co-star. And we do scenes together and everything. And it's pretty phenomenal that at the age of 56, I'm still discovering new avenues of creativity. I love it. I love it. Um, give me those three questions again. Uh, I want to make sure the audience heard those. You ran through them so yeah. quickly that you, you, you unpacked them in the book. Yes, I want to make sure that everybody gets a chance to hear what those three questions are. Because one of the reasons I wanted to have you on, as I said earlier, is that I want everybody to understand that no matter what age you are, um, you can have, like Bevy did, a pivotal moment of self-discovery. And if you wrestle with these three questions, you can change your life as well. And those three questions, Bevy, again, are what? Who are you at your core? So this goes beyond your career, goes beyond you being a wife or a mother or a husband or a father. It's who are you at your core? Mm-hmm. At my core, I'm curious, I'm adventurous, I'm a person who cre- uh, um, craves creativity. How am I being perceived? Well, at one point I was being perceived as a hard-nosed, you know, be with a witch. You mm-hmm, know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I had to change that perception because how I wanted to be perceived, which is the third question, how would you like to be perceived? I wanted to be perceived as someone who was a teacher, who was a nurturer, who uh, a mentor. And I'm proud to say that because I put my efforts into showing up how I wanted to be perceived, that is exactly how I'm perceived now, which is why I have a really amazing business as a public speaker, but also why I was invited to do a TED Talk on the main stage. And my TED Talk is, it gets greater later. Authenticity Mm. at any age. And it's something that I really do believe in. I want your listeners to know it's never too late to pursue your passion. You must continue to dare to dream. And it really is truly a mindset. But there should be no limitations on us uh, based around aging. Mm-hmm. And it's a blessing to be able to age. Nope, no question about that. Um, I love that. It gets greater later. It gets greater later. Uh, our remaining moments with Bevy Smith when we come forward on Tammy. 
He's rooting for everybody black. Everybody black. black. More of Tavis Smiley coming your way right now. Right now. Right now. Got about five minutes left. Uh, just five minutes left in conversation with Bevy Smith. I've enjoyed this Bevy immensely. I knew I would, and I've even enjoyed it more than that. <laughs> just a delight to talk to you. Uh, I can see. I can see why people. Are, I can see why people gravitate to you. Let me. Let me. Let me ask a couple questions right quick in the time I have left. Number one, uh, I was thinking as you were talking about fashion. So now, Pharrell is at Louis Vuitton. Virgil Abloh. Obviously, uh, famously, was that Louis Vuitton. Let me just ask you a, a broad question about the impact of black folk today uh, on fashion. Take it any way you want to take it. Well, let's start with Dapper Dan, who gave us Logo Mania and who literally made it possible for Virgil Abloh to ascend to the heights that he did at Louis Vuitton as well as Pharrell. Mm-hmm. So it starts with my Harlem brother, Dapper Dan. Um, but I also want to just say that you know, they finally realized that pop culture is urban culture. We move culture and we move all aspects of culture, popular culture. So they need us and they realize that. And so, you know, they acquiesced and now they are giving us a seat at the table. But thankfully, we've built a lot of our own tables as well. We have some really great black owned fashion brands like Sergio Hudson and, and, and a myriad of other ones. So, um, yeah, they, they're playing catch up. Yep. But we've moved on for a large part. Yeah. yeah there you go. I just, want, I just want to get your take on that since uh, that is, that's part of the world that you operate. You, you live in so many worlds, but that's one of the worlds you've yeah. lived in. So I want, to, I want to get your take on that. So in the few minutes I have left here, uh, I want to come back to, back to your story again. So um, once you, um, you know, had this, uh, again, come to Jesus meeting with yourself, ask yourself those three questions, answer those questions, it took you some years to actually uh, bring that to fruition. What, what, why, was, why, why did that gap happen? between 33 and 38? Uh, because, first of all, you're like, am I really going to blow up my whole life? <laughs> okay? The second question is, okay, the second question is, I know I'm dissatisfied, but what's going to satisfy me? Because most of us don't even know what will truly make us happy because we're just going, right? Mm-hmm. We're in the rat race, we're hustling, we're doing all those things, so we don't even know what's going to make us happy. So I had to answer those questions before I could even make a move. I had to find out what would make me happy. Yeah. No, so it takes some exploration. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, there, there, there are some people I know, and when I think of y'all, I just have this, I just laugh because y'all, y'all just love New York City so much. Uh, Spike, of course, could never imagine living anywhere else. And I assume, given that you're a lifelong New Yorker, you, you're in that same boat, right? You just yes. love New York so much, you can't imagine living nowhere else. No, for what? <laughs> and, and specifically Harlem. <laughs> they will cart me out of Harlem. Yeah. <laughs> you love it that much. They're going to cart me out of here. Oh, yeah, this is my Mecca right here. And I know we said you talked really quickly about gentrification. I want to say Harlem does have gentrification going on, but we are still very much a black community. Oh, yeah. And Juneteenth is every day in Harlem. I want everyone to know that. So when you come to Harlem, you have to search for black culture. It is everywhere you look, black culture. It is indeed. It is indeed. Her name is Bevy Smith, as if you didn't know. Uh, she's a pop culture queen, author of the book, the best-selling book, Bevelations, not out in paperback, uh, Bevelations, Lessons from a Mother, Auntie and Bestie, and she spells mother. I love it. M-U-T-H-A. Uh, I can't accent yeah. it the right way on radio, <laughs> but Bevelations, Lessons from a Mother, 
Auntie Bestie. Uh, she's the host of her own show, uh, Bevelations on Sirius XM on the Andy channel. Um, Bevy, I've enjoyed this, as I said earlier, uh, immensely. Thank you for the time. Thank you for the share. Thank you for the book. Thank you for the show. And um, just thank you for this conversation. I deeply appreciate it. Thank you, my love. And tell folks to go and watch my TED Talk, too. It's real good. It is a good oh. one. I was, I, was, I was checking it out again last night. It is a good TED Talk. Check that out as well. Uh, Bevy, Bevy, Bevy got product, y'all. Bevy's got stuff. Bevy's got stuff. Bevy, take care of yourself. Good to have you on. Thank you, love. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Our three of Tavis Smiley uh, will commence with a conversation with the mayor of Montgomery, Alabama. You all saw that video, uh, the drama, the beatdown at the dock. <laughs> we'll talk with the mayor of Montgomery, Alabama when we come forward on Tavis Smiley.